0: Show. Welcome to Paranormal We're going to take a deeper things. look into both to of tonight's journeys with some November embarrassing 1st, footage from the Holy Land that will hopefully put a smile on your face. Sorry to be talking to uh, I'm going to answer some viewer Josh. tweets. And in a moment, and I'm going to Skype with Legend of the Wild's Damien Duffy about hunting for a killer in Brazil. So, here we are. Uh, no camera operator, no crew. Anything could happen. Most likely, I get a telemarketing call. Welcome to Josh Gates Tonight. I wonder if we managed to get a graphic made for this thing. Josh Gates tonight. Not bad. Okay, so here we are. Welcome to the show. Uh, this is Johnny Josh had Ed Giggs McMahon, tonight. Conan has Andy Richter. I have Gabe. Say hello, Gabe. And. Uh, Since I'm at home, I am having a cocktail. You can uh, join me if you like, if you are of drinking age. Uh, We are going to go for a dark and stormy tonight, invented by sailors stranded on the island of Bermuda, as I recently learned. Uh, Basically, it's made up of dark rum uh, combined with, of course, ginger beer, and garnished with a lime. And uh, I'm going to go kind of light on the stormy, heavy on the dark. You know, dangerous times. All right, perfect. So... Tonight you got your first glimpse at the brand new series Legends of the Wild, where two Australian adventurers investigated a mystery predator on the prowl in Brazil. So now we are going to spin the globe and fire up the old video chat all the way to Australia to talk with host Damien Duffy. Hey man, how's it going? Good Mike mate. Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad at all. Have it yourself. I'm doing well. I got a, I got a cocktail in my hand, so life is good. It's nine o'clock in the morning. It's already at four. Ah, perfect. I see the barbecue behind you. I'm going to resist a shrimp on the Barbie joke. Yeah, we never get to give Paul Hogan for that. Never. <laughs> Sorry about that. Well, listen, the show was awesome, but before we get to the wildlife, let's talk about the tattoos. You are inked up. <laughs> Is that from the Army paratrooper days or what? Mate, when I joined the Army at 17 years old, I only had one tattoo. And the reason I got that tattoo in the first place was because my dad said, you can't join the Army without a like, bloody tattoo. So I went and got a I'll let you have one. one so a oh, on my arm. A classic. arm. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was the first one. Alright, so, so in tonight's episode, April, it turned out that the culprit might be a giant anteater. This is an animal Safe that I home. think most people probably don't think of as being dangerous at all. But in fact, they, they have been known to kill people, right? Yeah, they have been mate. Right? They're a very large and powerful animal. Seven feet long, which when they stand up on their back legs, that's seven feet tall they got huge claws that they use for tearing open ant mounds and turn mounds. But if you corner one, they're not using them to find food, they're using them to defend themselves. And they can and will attack. And um, if you're a human being, you're made of soft stuff, they'll just rip right through you. Wow. Many Australians, it has been my experience, seem to be fearless when it comes to just picking up whatever animal you find out in the wild. I watched you get bit by a snake tonight. Ah! Got me! So, my next question is, what is wrong with you? It might have been there for years. <laughs> it's just a way of life here, yeah. So you're badass, is what you're saying? Oh, I wasn't going to say that, but if you want to put a label on it, badass, I'll go with that. Okay, so tell me about next week. What are you guys going to be going after? Uh, we're heading down to Costa Rica, mate. There's a bit of an issue going down there with turtles being found on the beach, both dead and half eaten. So, what we're trying to figure out is where the predator is coming from. It could be coming from the land, or it could be coming from the sea. But at this point, until we go have a look, no idea Sounds really interesting. Can't wait to see it. Uh stay safe and uh, please stop picking up snakes, okay? Can't guarantee anything. Might make my promises. Australian. All the best, Damien. Cheers, have a good one, mate. And there you have it, a real live Australian in his natural habitat. All right, now let's turn to Expedition Unknown and the hunt for the Dead Sea Scrolls. Since we filmed, Dr. Oren Gutfeld and his team have been hard at work. They excavated that cave they discovered at Qumran, and they managed to uncover stunning pottery from 2,000 years ago, as well as a preserved oil lamp. Next season, they'll be at it again and keeping us on speed dial. Orin, though, isn't the only one doing work on the scrolls. Scientists at MIT recently discovered why the scrolls are so well preserved. It turns out the ancient Israelites took parchment as well as thin tanned leather and bleached it using salt. Then they applied a layer of sulfate minerals to make a surface for their ink to adhere to. And since the materials don't appear to be from Qumran, the scrolls may well have been written elsewhere and then brought to the caves. Speaking of caves, we spent a lot of our trip crawling around in the dark, uh, especially in the tight airless tunnels running beneath the site of Betley High. As you can see in this clip that never made it into the original episode, it wasn't exactly roomy down there. You have to pull me up out of here. I can try to use my... Oh, Amen. Just me back nope. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this is where you turn. There, there. Yes. Nope. No, no. And my legs too long. I can't, oh. I can't bring my knee in. It's like the perfect trap to never get out of. Anyone? We're gonna move uh, ahead. hand. can't Woo. get out. Found in Argentina. Yes. Now they're gonna cover. Okay. Thank you for letting me in here. Thank you for letting us take a look at this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. The items offer strong evidence that after World War II, fleeing Nazis established a secret presence in Argentina. To find out more, I'm meeting with the Latin American head of the Simon Wiesenthal Center. The organization named after the legendary Nazi hunter. Ariel, Josh Gates, nice to meet you. Welcome to Buenos Aires. Thank you very much, Lina Let's talk about Simon Wiesenthal, the man. Simon Wiesenthal is a Holocaust survivor. He found and identified more than a thousand Nazis. When we talk about Nazis coming to South America after the war, what kind of numbers are we talking about? Here? Hundreds, hundreds. Yeah. Ariel shows me copies of extremely rare documents revealing the false identities that many Nazis used to get into Argentina and other South American countries. This is Klaus Altman. He was Klaus Barbie. Klaus Barbie, the Butcher of Lyon, thought to be directly responsible for the deaths of 14,000 people. Helmut Gregor. He was Joseph Mengele, Known as the Angel of Death, conducted heinous and barbaric experiments on concentration camp victims. Ricardo Clement. Ricardo Clement was Eichmann. One of the architects of the Holocaust, responsible for the deaths of millions, and hanged after his capture here in Buenos Aires. How do these guys just waltz into Argentina? There was a very German-loving environment here them. before the war. The, the most Union important people. manifestation from they Nazis so outside long. Germany it was here in Buenos Aires in '38. Argentina had long this been cozy said, this, with the Third Reich. In fact, they didn't it. join the Allies until just six weeks before the war ended in Europe. Before the end of the war, there was an organization to help Nazis and their collaborators get out from Europe and get a safe place here. The code name Odessa was developed after the war to describe a suspected Nazi escape program from Europe. And it now appears that there was a so-called rat line or path of escape that led to Argentina. This effort to bring Nazis here was assisted in part by the Red Cross, who inadvertently provided transit papers to many fugitives. The Argentine government of Juan Perón aided Nazis as a way to get German investments to flow through Buenos Aires. Even his wife, the beloved Evita, was complicit. Where were they concentrated in Argentina? Were most of them here in the capital? There were many waves. Many of them went to Misiones in the north. Ariel believes that this remote province holds the key to learning more about the fugitives and what kind of support they had once they arrived here. There's a hideout in the middle of the jungle. Like a Nazi hideout? Yeah. You have to see it. Go after it. When we can't go out into the world, we'll bring the world to you. We'll bring the world to you. To you. We all need to stick together from a distance. Elbow, We are currently socially distanced as far as we possibly can be from anyone. I ain't been, always been one to follow the rules, but I'm going to do that here. We can't go out in the world, but we'll try the best to bring the world to you. From the homestead. Let's call it a time of discovery. Discover a new recipe. Josh, pizza, Discover five, a five, new book. Enjoy this time with your kids, We're your not family. Seen much. And channel my inner Che Guevara. <laughs> I'm hopping a flight from Buenos Aires to the northern town of San Ignacio, near the border of Paraguay. Once on the ground, I grab the first vehicle I can find and channel my inner Che Guevara. Somewhere off to my left is the Paraná River, and on the other side, the country of Paraguay. The river's strategic location has long attracted explorers and missionaries and, in more recent history, drug runners. But some believe it may have also attracted another nefarious group, high-ranking members of the Third Reich. I ride out of town toward an archeological site that could this reveal Expedition new information unknown, about the Nazis who arrived here after the war. A safe for home. Along the way, I pull the bike over Nazi to in and an unlikely site in the middle of the jungle. I believe this is part of Josh Gates um, tonight. These show. are the ruins of San Ignacio Mini, although as you can see, there's nothing mini about them. At one time, this was a 200-foot-long, soaring church, the centerpiece of a huge Jesuit mission built here in the early 1600s with the aim of converting the local Guarani natives to Catholicism. By the mid-18th century, the Jesuits were removed from power. The natives destroyed the mission, leaving the buildings to be consumed by the jungles. buildings found in the nearby wilderness were thought to be connected to the Jesuit ruins. But one group of structures has generated controversy about its origins and purpose. And just... To hear how the Nazis might be involved, I meet Daniel Schavelson, Director of the University of Buenos Aires Center for Urban Archaeology. How are you? I'm good. Nice to meet you, Daniel. my pleasure. So I saw some incredible ruins on the way in here. You found something different out here. Well, we have three main buildings. Not part of the Jesuit ruins is 20th century. And what are these 20th century buildings doing way out in the middle of the jungle? That's what we are trying to understand. Can you show me the site? Yes. It's not an easy way. Please take a machete. <laughs> you will need one. Okay. Armed with the Argentine weed whacker, we go onward into the jungle. After more than a mile of bushwhacking into the dense foliage, we stumble upon a shocking sight to behold. Oh, wow! That's extraordinary. Just in the middle of the jungle. Look at this place. The architecture is very different than the Jesuit ruins. Yeah. Yeah. Modern frames. Nails. Nails. Round nails. It's 20th century architecture. But there's no records of this. No records at all. No pictures. Nothing. Nothing. It doesn't exist. Daniel strongly believes that these were built specifically to be Nazi hideouts. And that the proof is in the construction. The layout of this mystery structure isn't designed like a jungle hunting blind. This place has a fancy bathtub, expansive rooms. They even found fine European-style tiles on the floor. Deeper into the jungle, they discovered something else, more structures. They're a fair distance from the house, so this won't be just a walk in the woods. Well, okay, it will, but we have machetes. Somebody was doing or building out here, it must have been something they wanted to keep very secret. A secret that we may be on the verge of discovering. Yes, <laughs> it's a big structure, it's like a lost temple Deep in, in the dense Argentine jungle. Archaeologist Daniel Shavelzone. Has just led me to a series of mysterious ruins, which he suspects of being a hideout for Nazis fleeing justice. Is it? Yes! Wow! It's a big structure. It's like a lost temple. I just cannot believe that this is all out here. Here you have our camp and our team working. Daniel's team has been digging out here to try to definitively answer the question of who used these buildings. What up? What is this? This is the scanner. We're trying to understand the building because we don't really understand it. To examine all the ruins more thoroughly, Daniel's colleague Anna is using a Leica BLK360, a cutting-edge device that uses lasers and photography to create an ultra-high-resolution 3D model of the site. The model exposes details that the naked eye is incapable of seeing. Do I just hit the button? Hit the button. Hmm? She's alive. (laughs) Okay, let's go. Scan away. The Leica scans are completed, and the images are incredible. It'll take months for Anna and Daniel to analyze the data, but even a cursory glance firms Daniel's findings. This is a multi-story, fortified structure with defensive positioning. He believes he's uncovered enough to know for certain the fugitive nazis were housed and protected in these buildings and he believes that whoever lived here had help and where do you think that was controlled from it was controlled by a bunch of people with a lot of money where was the spot in argentina with the most kind of concentration of these guys it was Bariloche. and why there because the landscape is very similar to South Germany, and Bariloche was one of the highest con- concentration of German people at Argentina. I thought he was there before. Daniel will continue to search this, this site for evidence to support about his COVID theory. In the, in the lake if he's right, the Nazis had the resources to hide a lot more than just a few buildings. And he believes those resources were sent from the city of Bariloche. So we fly south to where Daniel alleges is the center of the evil, the viper's nest. Was this place really a magnet for Nazis fleeing the Third Reich 70 years ago? 70 years In ago. In 1994, a team of investigative journalists led by Sam Donaldson confronted a local school teacher here named Eric Priefka. Their research revealed his former profession, an officer of the Nazi SS involved in the massacre of 335 Italian civilians during the war. And there's a researcher here that believes Eric Priebke was the smallest of fish in a very big pond. And that Bariloche was hiding a secret that would rewrite history itself. Abel Basti, author of Bariloche Nazi, agrees to meet me on the shores of Lake Nawalwapi, where he believes he's found the truth about this region's dark past. Abel. Jos, Hola. ¿Qué tal? ¿Cómo estás? ¿Qué tal? Muy, bien. ¿Y tú? muy bien, muy bien. So look, I've seen that yes, there is this huge German influence here, but do you think there were a lot of high ranking Nazis here? Sí, yo creo que tuvo la jerarquía... Yes, I have no doubt that there were many high-ranking Nazis here in Bariloche. And what about these stories about gold and, and treasure? Do you believe that that came to Bariloche as well? Entre, digamos, el plan de evacuación. We know that their evacuation plans considered the transport of people and cargo, and in that cargo there were documents, technology, and gold. All of that would have required a lot of organization. So who was in charge of all of this down in Bariloche? Who was pulling the strings? Bueno, obviamente Hitler. This was not the answer I was expecting. History seems clear on this point, that Hitler died at the end of the war, but Abel believes otherwise. You you believe Adolf Hitler was in barrel Did not die in Germany. If you want to know about Hitler, I can show Wow, the most spectacular setting. They lived here with a view of the mountains, the lake, the trees. We found the hideout for the Nazis. We head back outside where the light near is near the big. lake. Sergio has been scanning the entire grounds, and now he's ready to show us the results. Okay, I saw the on the field. Uh-huh. In most the field, nothing. But in the middle of the field, I have something. Show us, what you find, okay? I'm uh-huh, we can look. Get him. look, look at that. It slopes way up. It's a startling find. A clear indication that the ground here was disrupted. Perhaps to bury something big. We'll have to, With the darkness uh, getting thicker, I rush to get a metal detector. Metal detecting in the dark, in the rain. At a house that supposedly belonged to Adolf Hitler. You know, just another Tuesday. A bell, I got a hit? We'll have to end this. Okay. Stop, stop. Before long, we get time several hits right in the area that Sergei was hitlers but it very possibly belonged to a nazi who like many others in argentina escaped justice the nazis of the third reich are almost all dead now for those who have successfully hidden for 70 years there will likely be no prosecution but the fight against what the nazis stood for cannot end now with nazi artifacts still being traded and with nazi stories still being revealed there is more work to be done Sadly, the specter of fascism seems to be rising again around the world. There is no better way to fight its evils than to know its full history. There's no more important task than ensuring that this time, no one can be complicit. Sorry to skip a little bit. Gentlemen, Till we meet again, stay tight.